1 Corinthians 11:23 to 26, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So to give you a bit of background, uh, this was written to the Corinthian church. Um, They were Greeks. And uh, they'd been getting a few things wrong. And Paul was kind of told them off about the stuff they were getting wrong and reminded them uh, about what they should be doing. And that's, it was the way that they were taking the Lord's Supper or communion or Eucharist or bread and wine or whatever it is that we call it. They had been doing it wrong. And uh, he reminded them what it was all meant to be about. So, first of all, the thing that we believe about communion is that it's not actually a meal. Jesus did it uh, with his disciples as part of a meal. Um, and in fact, the early Christian church car- carried this on. They'd have communion as part of like a shared meal with the whole church and including you know, rich and poor and everybody. And that was called a love feast, agape. That's where the word comes from. And actually, in Greek culture, they used to do that as well. You know, even if they didn't follow Jesus, it was, quite, it was part of their culture to every now and again have a feast that included the poor. And they called that erinoi. And Paul was having a go at the church, though, because he was saying, look, you're not even doing that. You, you know, you're not even feeding your poor. In fact, some of them were bringing food and eating it themselves. Um, or, uh, you know, they, and some of them had finished the food before their na- neighbours had even had any. And some of the people in the meal were going hungry because they, they hardly got anything. So Paul was saying, look, you're not even managing this basic thing of sharing your food, that alone communion. Uh, And then he went on to say what communion is about and and where it comes from. So communion is about um, bread and wine. But of course, it's not it's not food. It is food, but it's it symbolizes something else. Okay, the breaking of bread is like a metaphor. If you know what metaphors are, I teach and I talk to my kids about a metaphor is when you say something is something else. So we might talk about a car um, speeding as a bullet or the car is a bullet we're not actually saying it is a bullet we're saying there's something about it that reminds us of a bullet okay so we're not actually saying that uh, the bread is jesus's body or there's some people some churches believe that catholics would believe that at the point of them praying over it it does actually become his actual body and his actual blood and maybe scholars say that's because jesus said this is my body but Apparently, Jesus spoke Aramaic in those times, and there aren't any copulas, which is apparently a word, those little joining words like is. So Jesus wouldn't have actually said, this is my body. Okay, so then he couldn't, you know, so therefore he wasn't saying, you know, this bit of bread is my body. And also the fact that he he used metaphor, he used loads of metaphors, didn't he? He said, um, you know, I am the vine. Well, he wasn't actually saying I'm like a little vine growing up, was he? Um, he used to say, I am the shepherd. Okay, it didn't mean he, he looked after sheep. It was a kind of metaphorical sheep, wasn't it? So again, he's not saying, it, the, the bread and the wine is like a metaphor. And also, of course, he was present there in front of them. So he wouldn't be saying, this is my body, because they're thinking, well, now I can see your body there. 
So we don't actually believe that the bread and the wine actually become his body and blood. They are just symbols, they're metaphors. The other thing that we believe about bread and wine is it in itself, it doesn't actually save us. So it doesn't have any power to change our state before God because Jesus is sacrificed at that, didn't it? Okay. It's meant to be for those who are already saved. So if a non-Christian comes amongst us and takes bread and wine, they're not going to be saved through it. There's no benefit to them because Jesus did it to his disciples. So it's meant to be um, something that is done for believers because that's what Jesus did. Um, Okay. And also, Paul was talking to the Corinthian church. So when he talks about sharing the, the, the bread and the wine, he's talking to the church, not to the whole community. Okay. So that's what it is and what it isn't. And what does it actually mean? Okay. So it's closely linked with Passover. Let's see if I can... Point it at the... Uh, put it that way. No. No. It's that one, thank you. It's not the red one. Okay, I like my little Lego men. Uh, kids, those of you who are at school and those of you who did school a long time ago will have done the, the plagues, wouldn't you? There's all the little plagues in Lego men. You see the Lego men with the spots on them and the, the dead cattle and the Red Sea and the poor old frogs all over that Lego man. So the Passover, for those of you who can remember, are, it was the last of the ten plagues, wasn't it, where um, the Israelites had gone to Pharaoh and every time a plague came, they said, please let us go. And he would say, oh, yeah, OK. And then as soon as they went off, he said no, and he changed his mind. And the last plague was the death of the firstborn. And, Jesus, and God said um, that he would save the Israelites and what they had to do was slaughter a lamb and they had to dip hyssop was it herb and paint it on the doorposts and then god's spirit would pass over their house and they would be saved and that's why it's called passover and it obviously the it was a lamb that had to be killed and about the blood being daubed it's kind of parallels actually they're not really sure the um commentators whether jesus did shared this the last supper actually at passover but they all agree that it was in his mind okay So when you think about Passover, it's about God rescuing his people. Um, And so and also Jesus's death rescued us, didn't it? Except the Passover that just passed over the one time. It was one time in history that the Israelites needed saving and God passing over saved them that one time. And they needed to be rescued lots more times after that, unfortunately, when they got stuff wrong. Whereas Jesus's blood and death once and for all it didn't need repeating again also with the passover you've got the lamb being killed and jesus is described as the lamb of god isn't he Um, and that lamb being killed saved the nation jesus being killed saved us but again it was only once jesus did it once once and for all the perfect sacrifice and also that blood brought freedom for the Jewish people. Not only were they saved from death, but also after that point, Pharaoh did allow them to cross over the sea and they were saved and rescued and set free from the Egyptians. And we are saved and set free and rescued from our sin, aren't we? 
to, to just live this amazing life with God from, from that point onwards. Except again, gosh, that freedom is so much greater, isn't it? It's not just from the Egyptians or whatever that is. It's not just from the things that caught you and tied you before you were saved. It's ongoing. It's forever. So closely linked to the Passover. What's really interesting, I th- when I thought about the bread and wine, was why Jesus used bread and wine. I mean, surely the obvious thing would have been lamb, wouldn't it? But, um, right, that one? Oh, yeah, that was that one picture there. Oh, gone back a bit. Now, if I were God, I might have had the breaking of cake. <laughs> Carrot, uh, red velvet, my favourite. Or, surely, back clever. Kind of Middle Eastern, you know, with the phyllo pastry and all that sort of thing. But no, he didn't do it. I don't want to be um, disrespectful to God, but, you know, why? Why bread? With regards to lamb, it being the obvious thing, again, commentators think the thing about lamb is you'd have to kill something in order to represent Jesus' body. And the idea being that actually Jesus was the last death that needed to happen for our salvation. So therefore, we shouldn't need to kill anything else to represent, which I thought was, yeah, that's good, isn't it? Nothing else needed. Jesus' blood being spilt was the last thing that needed to be shed. We didn't need to kill lambs or anything like that after that point. His sacrifice paid that price for us all. So bread, you know, actually I really love the idea of bread. When I do assembly near Christmas time at school, I always like to draw the parallel of, you know, if Jesus were to be born now, where would he be born? And I always think he'd be born at the Hilton or somewhere really expensive with, like, gold chandeliers and everything. But, you know, God chose a stable in a poxy little place, didn't he? And he, did, he just turns everything round. And, no, he wouldn't choose expensive baklava or anything like that. He'd choose something simple, cheap and available like bread because that's what he's like, isn't he? He, he turns everything around. And blood, well, um, for his blood, um, you know, there's that symbol of wine. I was thinking about blood as well, thinking actually for us, blood is kind of not good, is it? It signifies something being wrong, illness or death or something needed to be patched up. But actually, it's interesting, for the Jewish people, blood meant something quite a bit more significant. Um, When once the Israelites had gone through the Red Sea and um, they had been given the Ten Commandments... uh, God actually sealed those Ten Commandments with sprinkling of blood. So it's about Moses telling the people about the Lord's words. And it says, he got up early the next morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, offered burnt offerings. Then verse 7, then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. Moses then took the blood, which was from the earlier sacrifice, sprinkled it on the people, which I didn't really like the idea of. I don't know if you'd like me if I'd have got like a tub of blood and start sprinkling it on you and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So for Jewish people, blood wasn't a yucky, diseasy sort of thing. It's something that sealed an agreement. And it set up a covenant between God and the people. I was thinking, actually, blood can have a bit of a significance. Did any of you try to have a blood brother with any of your friends? Did you not do that? I did. Did you? Yeah. You kind of cut yourself, except I don't think I did. I think I probably just did a bit of a graze. And then you put it with your best friend, and then, like, your friends and blood brothers forever. Yeah. 
Maybe you didn't do that. <laughs> Apparently, medieval cultures, they did the same sort of thing, and they used to drink each other's blood, which sounds a bit disgusting. So, so even in our culture, we may have forgotten it, and I, you know, I don't think you know, swapping blood with other people is a great idea, but it just shows you that actually even in our culture, you know, the, the culture before God, blood was significant then. You know, it, it still ties, it shows an irrevocable tie. The other thing it does is it, it shows our relationship with God. Okay. Verse 8. This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many and for the forgiveness of sins. As the idea of covenant keeps coming up in the Old Testament. And apparently the Greek word for covenant is diatheke. I don't know if that helps you, but I just thought you just might like to know. And a covenant isn't like a mutual thing. You know, I give you something, you give me something. Actually, it's completely one way. It's a bit like a will in that fact, you know, that the person gives and the other person receives. And the person receiving doesn't do anything. They just get all the stuff that has been agreed through this covenant, through this will. So it's a solemn disposition. It's a solemn decision from one person to the benefit the sole benefit of one of the other person. And through Jesus' death, we've got this everlasting covenant. He's not sprinkling the blood like they did after the Ten Commandments, but it's Jesus' blood, isn't it, that seals that promise, that covenant. And it's a binding commitment from God to us that from that point onwards, our sins are dealt with and we are in relationship with him forevermore. So that blood sealed that covenant that we have. So it's not where the blood is daubed on the doorpost, uh, not one where for the uh, Egyptians they were physically safe. We are saved from judgment. Uh, We're not dealt in the way that our sins deserved. We're made his sons and his heirs. We're treated like royalty all through the blood that seals this new covenant. The other thing about about communion is it speaks of unity as well. Again, in the Old Testament, when people made a sacrifice, they would go up to the priest and they'd give him particular bits of the lamb that they had to sacrifice. And then they and their family, as long as they were kind of clean according to the Jewish laws um, in Leviticus, then they would eat the rest of the lamb together. And it was a communal thing. So the lamb had been sacrificed, some was given to the priest, and the rest was shared between you and your family or you and your friends. And it was sort of a a spiritual thing. So because it had been a spiritual offering, it's more than just eating lamb. It was sort of a spiritual food in a sort of way. And apparently, you know, that's why Israelites were forbidden to eat with Gentiles, because food was seen as not just food. When you shared it with other people, it was seen as a spiritual thing. And that's why hospitality is so good, isn't it? That it's more than just food. It signifies more than something else. It's like for the Jewish people, if you ate with Gentiles, it would be like um, having allegiance with other gods. And it's really good that Jesus took one bread and one cup and shared it with everybody. There's not like a waitrose for the the posh people and a little loaf for other people. We've all got the same loaf, haven't we? We're all one. And we all do it together. 
Now, whether we do it one by one or in the church that Tim's church, um, Tim grew up in, where they've all got the little cups and they all drink it at the same time, it doesn't really matter. It's all out of the same stuff. There isn't a difference between the quality or, or anything like that. So unity, you know, the way that Jesus decided to do that obviously showed that unity is important to Jesus. And if it's important to Jesus, it should be important to us. Later on in the verse, it talks about how, you know, to support this unity, we ought to examine ourselves before taking communion. And in a lot of churches, they'll say as kind of part of the communion, if you've got anything against somebody, sort it out now before you come and have communion. And I was thinking, actually, if you, over the year, don't have anything to sort out with anybody, then I think you've got it wrong. Because I want you to know us so well that you find us annoying. And that's <laughs> not that you have to sort out on a Sunday morning. That'd be really bad when it was all rushing towards each other. But through the year, we should know each other so well that this verse applies to us. If you think, well, I never have a problem with anybody, well, then you don't know us well enough. Because our families annoy us sometimes, and we are family. So we need to know each other so well that at some point we have to sort stuff out. Even I hope you know, don't wait till a Sunday morning. But uh, if that verse is talking about getting stuff st- sorted, then we need to know each other so well that sometimes we need to get stuff, stuff sorted. The other thing I think about communion is actually it's a mystery. Tim and I were chatting and thinking, well, I was saying to him, actually, Jesus hardly tells us to do very many things, does he? He tells us to love him and, you know, love the Lord your God before anything else and love your neighbours yourself. He did tell us to make disciples and baptise people. But, you know, we're not a, um, a ritual sort of religion, are we? And I'm thinking, well, actually he did say, do this in remembrance of me. So there must be a real power that we don't understand, <coughs> the stuff we do understand, but there must be a real power just by doing it because Jesus said it. And it's not... You know, and whenever there's obedience, there's blessing, isn't there? So we're not just eating the bread and wine. The other thing is we're taking it in ourselves. So some commentators say, you know, just like the bread and the wine nourishes us, maybe spiritually it nourishes us as well. I mean, we don't know, but we do know that if Jesus said it, then there must be some benefit to doing it. And also he said, this do, which apparently is the um, continuous form of the verb which means keep on doing it. So, yeah, interesting stuff. The biggest thing it is then also is remembrance and celebration. Apparently, again, the Corinthians used to regularly meet together to commemorate people who had died, people they loved. They used to meet in their kind of professional groups, perhaps regularly, perhaps annually, I don't know. Uh, they would kind of affectionately remember a departed friend or a member so one, lots of Corinthians would have, would have been quite happy, you know, whether they followed Jesus or not, to do this. But it's not so much of our culture, I don't think. We have, like, the um, Second World War thing, don't we, on the 11th of November. Um, Tim's family don't tend to really do remembrance things. But my granddad used to visit his mum's grave, and maybe some of your families do that as well. But, so we don't really have rituals of remembrance like Jewish people do. Um, but in the Old Testament, they often put memorial stones up, didn't they, after they had big um, defeats that God had helped them defeat enemies and things. They'd put up memorial stones to help them remember. Um, 
So you could say maybe communion is a bit like a memorial stone for us, that when we do it, it reminds us just like those stones that they had, that remind them of significant victories. But it is important for us to remember what God had done, has done. It gives us faith. You know, he's done that. How much more will he do? You know, he did that then, and he continues to help us and save us when things are, are tough. Actually, Jewish people have, um, when they do Passover, they've got all sorts of bits of remembrance. And again, the kids will know, we do this at school, this is a cedar plate. And each of those things remind Jewish people of particular bits about victories that God has given them. Again, we don't tend to really do this, but, um, you know, that it, it, it's important to remember. And when it says, remember, um, it says, remember me, and we need to remember what Jesus did and who he was. He was the son of God, wasn't he? Perfect and spotless. He was the one who was sacrificed on the cross. His death paid for all the sins we've ever committed and all the ones we still do. Through his death, we've got an ongoing and forever friendship with God. We're adopted into his family. We're not alone, never be alone. He rescues us from being orphans. doesn't matter if we're in a family or not, we still feel orphans sometimes, don't we? And the fact that we were away from God made us orphans, but we're not anymore. Takes us into his embrace. And that sacrifice that Jesus did ensures a lifetime of acceptance and forgiveness and love. We could do it all day, couldn't we, going on about all the great things. So that's what we need to remember and celebrate. I'm not sure, and I don't know whether you did this, but as a young Christian, I used to try to sort of recreate Jesus' death and suffering in my head. Imagine the pain on the cross and the betrayal and the violence. But Jesus doesn't actually say, remember my death. He says, do it in remembrance of me. And so I think it's great if we focus on Jesus, on his love, on his miracles, and what his death achieved rather than his actual death. And finally, the thing that communion is, is a celebration. Now, during the Reformation, I don't know if you knew this, but in lots of the churches before the Reformation, they had lots and lots of silver and gold in churches. They would have uh, lots of crosses and loads of gold cups and decoration on everything. And during that time, must have been Oliver Cromwell, took it all away. Um, I mean, I think some of it, you know, they'll have... They'll have got themselves and made themselves very rich. But the theory behind it was they wanted to move away from superstition and they wanted people to have a heart for God rather than just looking at all the decoration. And there was this idea that communion is a Godward thing, which is towards God, not a manward thing, kind of towards men, because salvation isn't taking place. So I can, I, I can see that idea and I have sympathy with it, but sometimes I think it means that churches adopt a very sombre um, kind of atmosphere. Um, and although you want to be respectful, if you're not careful, then you do focus on the suffering and the price that Jesus paid and the human treachery and the violence of it all, rather than thinking actually the cross isn't the end, but it's the beginning, isn't it? It's the beginning of the amazing life that we have in God. Cross is the beginning of this new saving plan of God's.
which enabled us to be free. So communion is a forward-looking act. Um, And it takes what Jesus has done and you live in the joy of it. So, So the communion then is about celebrating, it's about remembering, it's about thinking about the elements and what they represent and what Jesus did and that it's unity and that it's God's love towards us. So we're going to have communion now, actually. And just want us, as we take it, to think about uh, what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Remember, he asked us to do it. Therefore, when we do it, there's going to be a fantastic blessing. We're going to take it with maybe a bit more understanding and awe, awe of what he did as well. Uh, And as we follow and do what he's asked us to do, there's just going to be massive blessings. Amen. Amen.